Hello and welcome to the 3H2Humans Mastermind Symposium of Infinite Possibility Radio Show. Each episode, Lynn and Mustachio will explore continuums of meaning, varied perspectives, and thought seeds to place in the garden of the mind. Who knows what will grow? So sit back, stand up, drive, or jog. Whatever the motion may be, we are here to support each individual's journey to define health, happiness, and a humble perspective during the information era. Enjoy. Greetings! Today is Monday, March 8th, in the Finch-filled neighborhood, (laughs) Hilliard area of Spokane, Washington. I filled up three bird feeders yesterday, and the finches are abundant. One of my favorite sounds are birds in large numbers, chirping together, yet slightly different to where I can tell there are almost a hundred or so birds in the backyard. Similar to watching fire, listening to birds provides a deep biological pleasure. I believe it has something to do with resources. If birds are around, then likely there is food and water in the area. Today, our episode Season 1, episode 13, is 10 List Helpful Driving Habits. This episode was motivated through a photo radar ticket for turning right at a red light and not coming to a complete stop. And the charge was $136. Wowza! (laughs) I feel perhaps maybe $36 is a bit more reasonable for a photo radar right turn red light ticket, but I am not yet the mayor. (laughs) In future land, I will have more of an influence on these types of decisions, but as for now, I am an everyday citizen who reluctantly paid the $136 for the ticket. One of the things we talk about here at 3H2Humans is how to turn a seemingly negative situation into something positive. That's what this is. The 10 list episode on helpful driving habits. I do believe the purpose of the photo video tickets are to provide some sort of a punitive damage. So a punishment for people breaking traffic laws. I have a different perspective in terms of education and punishment, rewards, all that, uh, the mechanics of behavior. I feel education compassion and an understanding of what's going on helps to decrease similar behavior in undesired situations in short i'm a bit more of positive reinforcement rather than negative reinforcement so mustachio and i put our heads together and put together this 10 list of helpful driving habits also cars have been a part of my life in many ways I was a quote-unquote troubled teen, a uh, at-risk youth. I didn't uh, really fit in anywhere in uh, middle school or high school until I hooked up with the gearheads, with the, the people with hot rods, old 50s, 60s, 70s, and even 80s hot rods. That was my salvation. It kept me out of trouble. I'd hang out in the garage with the guys, pulling apart motors, learning how engines worked, 
as opposed to out causing trouble. I am grateful for all y'all out there who took me under your wing. And I use the word your, meaning specifically those people who were kind and taught me about hot rods and motors and car racing. As a youth down in uh, San Jose, I would go to the weekend street races <laughs> on Fridays and Saturday nights, people would meet over at the Schnitz over on El Camino and people would pop their hoods, talk about what kind of horsepower and torque and engines and extras like nitrous were on the car and then set up races. Then in a big caravan, we would drive out to some of the spots. That was fun. That was a, a much needed thinkamajig type of thing for me to do as a youth. Where, you know, it was illegal street racing. So, yes, it was a bit fringe in a sense. I wasn't at a music recital playing the violin. <laughs> but I was out of trouble for the most part and, and learning and being with people who had passion. That's what I loved is car junkies, gearheads that have a passion for motors. And I would soak up that passion. Also, I've been fortunate enough to be on the racetrack in racing cars. A couple of Panos racing cars, a uh, racing Viper, and then street cars on racetracks. So I've had a lot of fun with high performance cars and speed and pedal to the metal type stuff, which is great in a controlled environment. Today we're talking more about helpful driving habits, so daily driving. I feel there is a difference between the daily driver and the street racer. <laughs> as much as I love street racing, today we're talking about the daily driver, the grocery getters. The, uh, instead of the gas guzzlers, the gas conservers. Also, I was an accident adjuster as one of my occupations in corporate America in San Jose. I have analyzed, oof, I would say at least 200 accidents slash incidents to where it may be a broken mirror hitting a building or, or an auto collision involving another vehicle. Do you have some experience in terms of being a driver, being a passenger, and also accident analyzation, figuring out what happened during the accident and what could be avoided? And we talk about validation, how I don't really feel people can be validated. That's something that comes internal rather than external. But two factors which have given me a little boost with helpful driving habits are being a daily driver and studying accidents from an occupation type of level. So the 10 list is number one, minimize potential for road rage. Number two, Leave extra space between one's own car and the car in front when in motion. Number three, drive defensively. Anticipate drivers to act foolishly and plan accordingly. Number four, keep the vehicle clean. Exterior and interior. Remove unneeded items. Number five, use Uber, Lyft, or other car service when intoxicated or exhausted. Number six, have snacks and water available. Minimize desire to impulse eat and drink while on the road. Number seven, minimize brake use by lifting off accelerator early. Be steady on the gas. 
Number eight, perform routine maintenance. Keep emergency supplies in the vehicle. Number nine, be mindful of speed relative to others. And number 10, pull forward when stopped at a light or in traffic. Those are the components we will go over today. And this is the fourth <laughs> recording. Um, I tend to do the recordings in two, the show and then an introduction once the show is edited and ready to roll. But this time I ran across a couple complications. <laughs> I had a four-legged friend who was a bit antsy due to the rain. He uh, couldn't go out and play as much as he would have liked to. So that is Yeti Spaghetti making a bunch of ruckus. <laughs> now all is said and done. The rain has stopped and he is outside laying in the sunshine. We are both happy puppies now. <laughs> For the five lists today, we have five favorable products and five fun games. For the five favorable products, number one, Hansen's Natural Soda. Number two, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary and Thesaurus. Number three, Lake Missoula Tea Company. Number four, Midnight Oil Soap Company. And number five, progressive food containers. For the Lake Missoula Tea Company and Midnight Oil Soap Company, these are tea and soap distributors I ran across in my travels and allow them to be a gateway to explore the world of tea and goat milk and natural soaps. But I do encourage folks to buy locally. Maybe there is a local soap maker or tea shop in town also with the progressive food containers, look into ways to store food, fresh vegetables and fruits to increase their shelf life. I have found these to be great, although the edges tend to break. So there may be other ones out there which are a bit more sturdy. So these are gateways to these ideas. And number five, five fun games. Number one, Heroes of Might and Magic 3. Number two, Sid Meier's Civilization V. Number three, Dokopan Kingdom. Number four, Timeline Diversity. And number five, Geocaching. For Timeline Diversity, that is a card game. And I do encourage folks here in Spokane to go down to Uncle's Games. They have a couple different versions of it. The staff there is really friendly and awesome. It's the game store connected to Auntie's bookstore and located below the 3H2 office. The timeline diversity, I think it's about 15 bucks and it's one of the best, easiest, most fun and educational two-player games I've come across in a long time. So I do recommend that. Also geocaching, it's like a live action type of game. The cache cave here in Spokane in the Spokane Valley is a neat store to check out. I encourage folks in the area to go to this store or in other areas to find a local one. It's really neat. They have bolts that aren't really bolts. They, are, they hold log books and fake rocks and neat little tokens and really cool stuff that is new for me. And I love me some new stimuli. <laughs> Coming up, we will have another Q&A, questions, answers, and comments, all that stuff. 
If anyone has a question or a comment, maybe a 10 list they'd like to see, or some question about consciousness uh, or conscious communication, whatever it may be, shoot an email to 3h2humans at gmail.com. We do enjoy feedback and it's free, so why not? (laughs) Also, I wanted to point out, I was speaking with another consciousness instructor about the differences between unconscious and subconscious. I strongly believe that subconscious is appropriate for speaking of a subconscious process and unconscious is appropriate for when someone is knocked out in a fight or unconscious, unaware of their surroundings. Subconscious is a sub layer of awareness. And one of the points I made with this was if someone talks about being unmotivated or unhappy, in American English, to say something is un generally means it's non-existent. It's not a deeper level of. If I say I'm unmotivated, someone's not going to say, oh, that's a deeper layer of motivation. But then for unconscious to be a deeper level of consciousness, I just, I don't understand the logic behind it. And as the person I spoke with pointed out, uh, she had said her NLP instructor says to use unconscious because that's what the general public... I stepped on a squeaker toy. (laughs) Um, She had said that her NLP, so Neuro Linguistics Programming instructor, had said to use unconscious because that's what the public is more familiar with. And that brings up another point. The majority of people I've spoken with about NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, and uh, it doesn't totally make a whole lot of sense to me. It seems as though many of the people I have spoken with about it or heard them speak on podcasts use a ton of pish-posh words and lack logic in terms of linguistics. So I'm not completely sure what NLP is. If there's anyone out there who is a teacher here in Spokane or studies it or whatnot, I would like to learn more about it. But the comment of an NLP teacher saying the general public is more familiar with an incorrect term, so then they're going to use that anyway, I think that is backwards thinking. And I do agree that unconscious was used when the concept first came about, but many years have passed since then, since Freud and Jung developed these ideas. Now they have grown and evolved, and I do encourage people to explore the differences between subconscious and unconscious in terms of American English. We've also spoken about the quantum physics definition of the universal unconscious to mean unity consciousness. So there's a lot going on here. That's another reason why I prefer to use the word subconscious because un is just a strange prefix I'd rather not deal with. (laughs) Also, kind of with this whole talking about the old world and consciousness, it does appear that the majority of people who have made a name for themselves in terms of consciousness research go against something or some other beliefs. 
And <laughs> as we've spoken before, the opposite approach of what I take is Trish Blackwell's approach. So she has a podcast, Trish Blackwell's Confidence on the Go podcast. I do recommend people listen to it to hear the other side. She misuses you a lot. She'll say something like, when you go to bed at night and you tell yourself you're not good enough, what you're doing is you are lying to yourself. What you say are lies. And it's oh, so many uses of you. I bet she uses probably the word you 200 times in a 30-minute podcast. Analyze that. Listen to the differences between her using you and she switched a little bit more now to saying we so she would say when we go to bed at night and we didn't do enough what we're doing is we are telling ourselves lies that's pretty much the same thing it's pushing one's own emotions onto someone else and i don't believe that is conscious communication because for me when i go to bed at night and I tell myself I didn't do enough that day. I didn't do enough that day. Maybe I was tired. Maybe when I took my afternoon break, I watched too many episodes of Jeopardy instead of did the dishes or something. So I, the majority of what she says, I feel the opposite. And there's a new episode where she talks about duck syndrome. <laughs> this one blew my mind because... It is the opposite of my thinking. She talks about how people think a duck just glides across the water, but it's pedaling with its feet, and that people transpose this onto humans. So when a human is accomplished, another human will think, oh, that person is just gliding. They didn't work hard to get where they're at. I don't feel that way. If someone has accomplishments, I imagine there are sacrifices and passion, maybe a sprinkle of good luck in there, but I, I don't share that mindset. I do not have duck syndrome. And Mustachio was pointing out that he thinks I have spoke about this before, <laughs> which I may have, but it just blows my mind. It's ugh, such opposite thinking to my own. I do encourage folks, listen to Trish Blackwell's podcast. Also, many of her subject titles are negative. She'll talk about disorders and like the duck syndrome, bad things. I take an opposite approach. If I experience something quote unquote bad, like the $136 ticket for turning on a red light, I turn it into something quote unquote good, something useful, beneficial, like a 10 list. And that's why I feel my approach to podcasting and to education is the opposite of uh, Trish Blackwell's. Also, I do think it's a great place to hear pish-posh words. She uses the word actually, finally, misuses you, uses absolutes. Check it out and hear the other side. Also, <laughs> lots of alsos today. Lots of alsos every day. <laughs> oh, there's an absolute. See, it's contagious. Mindsets are contagious. Oi. <laughs> if... There is another podcaster out there or speaker, maybe even a TED Talk. And a TED Talk over, you know, 15 minutes or so. Someone who speaks at length, at least a half an hour, and does not misuse the word you, I would greatly appreciate a heads up. I've been conducting research for years, 
And I have yet to find another speaker who does not misuse the word you. And I am looking for that diamond in the rough. Because so far, it's just uh, Mustachio and I. We are the ones who do not misuse the word you. We do not assume other people experience the same thing as us. Or tell people, when you do this, you need to do that. I think that's aggressive and arrogant and counterproductive to a teaching model that we have here at 3H2. Okay, (laughs) so that is today's episode, March 7th 2016 a sunny day here in Hilliard and we will have a couple announcements on the next podcast we're looking forward to that some big changes over at 3H2 and um yeah (laughs) all right Mustachio and I would like to wish everyone health happiness and a humble perspective diligence today equals a thriving community tomorrow. Enjoy. Today is March 1st, 2016, here in the rainy Hilliard neighborhood of Spokane, Washington. It appears as though spring has just about sprung. The snow has melted and we've been having a bit more sunny days and warm sunshine. Today's episode, season one, episode 13, will be about a 10 list for helpful driving habits. In the list, we will go over some helpful driving habits, (laughs) hints and tips and tricks I've learned along the way, as also some points which I appreciate that other drivers do and some which irritate me. At 3H2, one of our main focuses is to learn from mistakes and to turn a less than ideal situation into something helpful. If there's a complication that I experience, instead of dwelling on it and grabbing the poor me card, I like to break it down, analyze what's going on, why did this happen, what can I do to avoid similar situations in the future, and how can I help others to avoid getting into the same muddy hole that I found myself in. This list, the 10 helpful driving habits, is in part motivated by a red light ticket I received. I was at a stoplight and yielded instead of made a complete stop for a right-hand turn. The other traffic was stopped. There were no pedestrians. I feel as though it was a safe maneuver. But there was a red light camera that had a different idea. A couple weeks after the turn, I received the ticket in the mail and it was $136 for yielding instead of stopping at a uh, right turn for a red light. Oh, that irritated me. (laughs) Okay, I admit I did not count to three. It would have been in accordance with the law if I had 
made a complete stop, then waited for all the cars to go, and then went after, but I felt it was safe to proceed forward. A penalty of $136, I feel is a bit steep. Perhaps $36 is a bit more reasonable for a camera issued ticket. We'll save that for another day. <laughs> I'm a bit exhausted from all of the street light issues, dealing with the city and large corporations. I, uh, I need a little break from that. So I thought, hey, how can I feel a bit better about receiving this $136 ticket, a uh, donation to the city of Spokane. And Mustachio and I did a little workshopping and we figured out, hey, a 10 list on driving habits. Essentially, I feel that's the goal of these red light tickets and many of the camera issued tickets are to curve bad habits. So the word bad is pish posh. And I think camera tickets are pish posh too. <laughs> Nonetheless, here we are. I do believe that my behavior will change. Now, when I turn right at a red light, I will stop and count to three and knit myself a sweater before I turn. So in terms of punitive damages, so punishing me, the city has done well because I am less likely to do the same thing that I did before. But I don't know if that's the best approach. I think education works better than punishment. So it's kind of that old saying, a person can attract more bees with honey than shit. <laughs> or something to that effect. Mustache was over there shaking his head. <laughs> yeah, it's like flies and bees and honey and shit. And I don't know. However it goes, it's that. <laughs> and I like to take more of the honey approach. As I age, I've recognized many of those sayings are true. Negative reinforcement is a shortcut. And in terms of long-term gratification and long-term behavior modification, positive reinforcement tends to work a bit better. Today, we are going to keep it positive with the helpful driving habits for the listener challenge, be a conscious driver. What does that mean? We're gonna go over that a bit more today. Much of driving is subconscious. It's something that is repeated on a regular basis and familiar. We've spoke before about a difference between subconscious processing and conscious processing. For instance, when the power went out, for me to cook in the kitchen, that became a conscious process because it had been over a week since I cooked in the kitchen. Whereas in the past, when it was a part of my daily routine, it was more of a subconscious process. The stimuli was familiar, regular. I, in essence, kind of took those things for granted. That's more of subconscious processing. Conscious processing are new experiences, novel stimuli, unfamiliar things within the environment where conscious attention is needed because the brain and body aren't quite sure what to do. So we'll go over some of those today, uh, subconscious and conscious behaviors of driving, but the listener challenge is about being a conscious driver, to lift, driving from a mechanistic, routine, familiar process to recognizing the unfamiliar components of driving, to be aware, recognize 
one's own actions and how they affect other drivers in the area. The 10 components are, number one, minimize potential for road rage. Number two, leave extra space between one's own car and the car in front when in motion. Number three, drive defensively. Anticipate drivers to act foolishly and plan accordingly. Number four, keep the vehicle clean, interior and exterior. Remove unneeded items. Number five, use Uber, Lyft, or other car services when intoxicated or exhausted. Number six, have snacks and water available. Minimize desire to impulse eat and drink while on the road. Number seven, minimize brake use by lifting off accelerator early. Be steady on the gas. Number nine, perform routine maintenance. Keep emergency supplies in the car. Number nine, be mindful of speed relative to others. And number 10, pull forward when stopped at a light or in traffic. So these are 10 items that are worth conscious attention. And I feel many components of these are subconsciously driven, especially number six, have snacks and water available, minimize desire to impulse eat and drink while on the road. Oftentimes a person will see a fast food sign and just think, oh, I need that right now. My body's going to shut down if I don't eat a double cheeseburger. <laughs> and I would consider that a bit more of subconscious processing, something that's a bit outside of logical conscious processing. I do feel on a conscious level, humans want to eat healthy foods that fuel the body without crashing but it's that short-term gratification of many subconscious choices that hinder that ability. As well, I believe consciously at the, the core of being, humans are kind and compassionate towards each other. The driver who stops and lets a car in, I think that is being a conscious driver. The driver who is late and thinking about, oh my gosh, I gotta make this appointment and then just speeds by and doesn't let the person in, that is more of a subconscious action. Okay. <laughs> so we will go over the helpful driving habits. And today we have two top five lists. They are favorable products and five fun games. The favorable products, number one, Hansen's Natural Soda. Number two, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary and Thesaurus. Number three, Lake Missoula Tea Company. Number four, Midnight Oil Soap Company. And number five, Progressive Food Containers. For number one, Hansen's Natural Soda. Over the last few years, I have dramatically decreased the amount of high fructose corn syrup and aspartame I eat. Uh, I recently became aware that maple syrup and barbecue sauce have a first ingredient of high fructose corn syrup. That's pretty gross. <laughs> Many of the big brand syrups and barbecue sauces are essentially a lab chemical. Similarly, a main ingredient in many sodas is high fructose corn syrup as well, and then sweetened with aspartame. 
Also in gum, there is aspartame. So these are two chemicals that I have been consciously reducing within my diet. And sometimes if I have an upset tummy and I, I need some fizzies, I want to drink a ginger ale. But the majority of ginger ales I've come across have high fructose corn syrup. Hansen's natural soda does not. And they have a wide variety of different types of sodas. I get them here locally at Rosar's. I believe they are available on Amazon as well if the local grocery store does not carry them. But I would encourage folks to look into soda drinking habits. About 15 years ago, I used to drink about three Diet Cokes a day. <laughs> not a very healthy decision. I would drink soda subconsciously where it was just a mechanistic process. I ate lunch. I drank soda. I ate dinner, I drank soda. It was just a part of the process. Rather than me becoming aware of the beverages I was drinking. So I do encourage folks, think of sodas and beverages. What are they? What are alternatives to drinking uh, processed beverages? Number two, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary and Thesaurus. Mustache and I were workshopping the other day working on pish-posh words. For the most part, when we write and compose things, it's based off of memory. And then occasionally we'll grab the paperback dictionary and look up words. There's also a thesaurus for synonyms. The dictionary has anything that I need in terms of writing. Because of the way I write, I learn more. In the past, probably over five years ago, maybe around 10 years ago, I would look up words in the computer dictionary. And when I would write, I double click on the word and look at synonyms. And oddly, I feel like that hindered my ability to write. I relied too much on the computer to choose words for me. And I noticed that the synonyms oftentimes were different than the word I wanted. So the sentence would change meaning. I feel because I take the time to look up a word in the paper dictionary, it takes more effort. I look at words around it. It's more of an experience than an act. I think looking up a word on a computer is an act, whereas looking up a word in a book is an experience. Flipping through the pages, sometimes if I'm stuck, on a word or a thought, I just flip through and randomly pick a page and see where that takes me. I do <laughs> feel as though books are often adventures. There's more unpredictability to them. So I do encourage people who write to give it a shot. Purchase a paper dictionary. I write in my dictionary. If I look up a word, I underline it and then circle the page. I look up the same word multiple times because we do talk about how each day, essentially, I'm a new person and I will interpret words differently. So I like to look up words multiple times. Also, I feel looking up words on the computer leads to distractions. Then it's like, oh, I'm on the computer. I might as well check my email and then go look at this and oh, what's that? And then before I know it, 20 minutes goes by. <laughs> so it's a bit of a time suck, I think, as well as an act rather than an adventure. 
and I use a Merriam-Webster's Dictionary and Thesaurus. Number three, Lake Missoula Tea Company. Over the last two years, I've switched from coffee to tea, and I feel this has been a beneficial life change for me. I'm more hydrated now that I drink tea instead of coffee. Coffee dehydrates the body, whereas tea in most cases replenishes hydration. Also, I like with tea, there's several different kinds. There's green, black, white, purple, herbal, rubios, all kinds of different teas from different countries, different styles, hand-rolled, loose leaf, bagged. It's a type of thing where I've become a connoisseur. I first was introduced to loose leaf teas at the Lake Missoula Tea Company. The folks there were super nice. My friend and I were able to sample a bunch of different teas. I use the word sample instead of try because try in this case would be a thought. To try something is to think, but to sample something is to do. Because if I said try, it doesn't fully explain whether or not I drank the teas or if I just went in there and looked around. <laughs> I drank the teas and it was great. And they have a wonderful tea steeper. I've used other ones. Do recommend going to their online store, Lake Missoula Tea Company, and looking at their loose leaf tea infuser, I think is what they call it. Just sprinkle the tea in. Then I warm up the water to 180 degrees, pour it in, and there's a really fine strainer at the bottom, and there's a little button. I set the steeper on a cup, and then it automatically drains through. I prefer this type of steeping method over the little balls that loose leaf tea goes into because it just drops straight down into the cup. Pretty cool. And then I have a Stanley Thermos where I put excess tea into. I have tea on reserve and then tea in the cup. He's a good boy. He's a good boy, Yeti. He's a good boy. Because that was one of the complications with tea in the beginning was that I like to have some on hand. So where if my cup that I'm drinking from gets cold, then I can warm it up. That's what I liked about coffee. I could do a heater, <laughs> as my mom says. Pour the tea back into the thermos and then pour it back out and then bam, hot tea right away without having to wait to heat up and steep a new cup. That's Lake Missoula Tea Company. Some of my favorites are Dragonwell Christmas Tea. There's another one, Internal Bliss number two, which assists with regularity. <laughs> That's another thing I like about teas is they have different purposes for calming, for energy. I also like their Sabertooth Green that has Yerba Mate and High Mountain Oolong. That's another of my favorites. Investigate the wonderful world of loose leaf teas. Number four, Midnight Oil Soap Company. This is another store I came across while traveling. I buy my soaps through the Midnight Oil Soap Company. They sell goat milk soaps. I believe them to be organic. I, I'm pretty sure it's from a small farm. It's a, um, a very old world type of operation. The woman has a, a small store on the busy street. When I first spoke with her, <laughs> she looked at me and said, 
you have adrenal fatigue. (laughs) And at the time I did, I was exhausted and I was drinking coffee, which can cause adrenal fatigue if it's uh, over-consumed. And that's what I liked about hers. She didn't hold back. She had a thought. She looked at me and recognized I had a condition and just said it. We talked a little bit about it and it helped me to become aware that I needed to change some of my habits. I want to move my life more towards natural products and something I do every day is shower. If I'm gonna be using chemicals from mass-produced soaps, then I'm probably not taking the best care of myself. Midnight Oil Soap Company, I do enjoy their bars of soap. They also have lotions and some other products. Some of my favorite soaps are Dragon's Blood. It has kind of rough things in it. So when I use the soap on my body, it scrubs it. So it's kind of like a scrubber. Also there's Chakra Awakening soap. I enjoy that one as well. Uh, Mystic Portal is another favorite. And a few others, which I don't remember the name. I I can see them in my head and recognize the colors, but I'm not quite sure what she calls them. But uh, Dragon's Blood, Mystic Portal, and Chakra Awakening are lovely ones. And with both, the Lake Missoula Tea Company and Midnight Oil Soap Company, these are ones that I've come across here in the Pacific Northwest. I do encourage folks to shop locally to look for soaps and teas within one's own geographic area. But for the time being, uh, these places also have online stores that may be a gateway into teas and soaps. So that's Midnight Oil Soap Company. Number five, Yeti. That's not for Yetis. There's no for Yetis. Number five is progressive food containers. I really enjoy these food containers. I use them for produce. I can put a head of lettuce in one of these containers. They are BPA free. They have a lid and a bottom part. Um, have a vent and then water can be stored at the bottom. As opposed to a typical plastic container that is airtight, these ones breathe and allow for moisture to be in the container. I have found that they keep fruits and vegetables twice as long as normal containers or bags. Progressive, do you believe they are available on Amazon? There's a couple different sizes and it's a part of my weekly food prep is to chop up a bunch of fresh vegetables and then I'll cook some, turn some into soup and then put some in one of these containers and chopped vegetables will last a week and still maintain their freshness. Spaghetti, there's no for you. Go get it. Oh my god. Oh my god. They sell hard plastic ones and then collapsible ones. I'm not as big a fan as with the collapsible ones. And also the medium-sized containers the plastic part is fragile and tends to break the large ones they installed the little tab which reinforces the main pressure point i do hope in the future they do the same thing for the medium ones because right now i tape them up (laughs) and perhaps there's another brand that has fixed this problem but i do recommend people look into food storage these are some of my favorite products for some of the lifestyle changes that I have made. 
So number one, Hansen's Natural Soda. Number two, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary and Thesaurus. Number three, Lake Missoula Tea Company. Number four, Midnight Oil Soap Company. And number five, Progressive Food Containers. Got some liquids, some brain food, some body food, some cleaning, all kinds of stuff. If there's anyone out there that has suggestions for similar types of favorable products, send them on down to 3h2humans at gmail.com. The next five list is five fun games. So these are five games which I enjoy. I am a gamer deep within my soul. The last two years, not so much. I tend to go through spurts where I won't game at all for six months and then I'll spend two or three months of gaming with nearly all my free time. (laughs) I have played a couple of these games from sundown to sunup. (laughs) So I do consider that to be a gamer. And they are, number one, Heroes of Might and Magic 3 for the PC, and I used CDs for this one. Number two, Sid Meier's Civilization 5, also for PC. I used Steam for this one. Number three, Dokapon Kingdom for the Wii, and that is a CD. Number four, Timeline Diversity. It is a mini card game. And number five, Geocaching. This is a live action type of game. So number one, Heroes of Might and Magic 3. This is an oldie but a goodie. I think Heroes is now up to number six or so. My favorite is number three. I like a bit more of the older animation style where it's a bit cartoony. I'm not really into the realistic looking graphics. I like kind of the almost board game feel of the older Heroes games. And Mustachio does point out, so there is Might and Magic, that's a different type of game, and then Heroes of Might and Magic. So this is Heroes of Might and Magic number three. I first played this game, oh gosh, probably about 15 years ago. Maybe more, gosh, maybe even 20. (laughs) It's been a while, so it's an older game. It holds strong even to today's standard. It's a turn-based strategy game. Turn-based strategy games are some of my favorite. I really like the whole planning out a strategy, then letting the other side go. Then planning a strategy, then letting the other side go. And also, back in my youthful days, we would have heroes parties and get a a small group of us together and then take turns and play. Can be played with one person or with multiple players. One of my favorite things about this game is it's how I learned about mythology, in a sense. Uh, Griffins and liches, dragons, centaurs, magogs, all of these fantasy creatures I had never heard of before. People who read fantasy books and engage the fantasy world in uh, magic, the card game, and other ways that I didn't do, I was able to learn. If there's anyone out there who would like to learn about mythical creatures and play a turn-based strategy game, I do recommend Heroes of Might and Magic 3. Number two, Sid Meier Civilization. Number five, there is number six out. I played it and it was a bit complicated for my simple brain. (laughs) I thought Civilization 5 was 
challenging enough to learn coming up from either three or four. And then number six is in space and it's really changed. Do you think that five and six are completely different games? I recommend number five. And similar to Heroes 3, it's a learning game. I've learned more about the history of inventions. What is that? It, anthropo anthropology? Uh, the study of humans and how they evolve? That is huge with Civilization V. I think it has a large educational component. Simple things where once the printing press is researched, then religion spreads faster. There's a realistic component to items in the game. And then before a soldier can have an iron sword, iron needs to be discovered and mined and fit with a timeline of when it's speculated that humans first use iron. So I think it's great. I, I do feel that I'm a lot smarter and more knowledgeable about human timelines and culture. There's different religions. Uh, there's also wonders, natural wonders and created wonders. And they each have like special powers and stuff, really cool. So it's a fun and educational game. So that's Sid Meier's Civilization 5 on the PC, and I downloaded it through Steam. Number three, Dokapon Kingdom. This is a bit of an obscure game. I haven't heard too many folks speak about this game. I believe it would be considered a turn-based strategy game as well, but this game is more geared towards playing with friends. It has a similar basic premise as many of the magic-based strategy games. There's magic potions and monsters, and then each character builds offense and defense. Person can pick where to put their resources into. But then what's neat about it is it's set up like a board game. Person rolls the dice, goes along, and then the players need to land on the shop in order to purchase a new shield or weapon. And it's also a bit like Monopoly, where towns are acquired and monsters need to be beat in order to get the towns. And there's towns which produce a bunch of gold, ones that don't produce that much gold. There's many layers to the game. I was lucky enough to pick up Dokopan Kingdom at a used game store for 20 bucks. The gentleman working there recommended it to me and that was one of the best recommendations I have ever had. When I go to game stores, I tend to check to see if the game's there. I have yet to see it in a game store, but I did look on Amazon and it was on sale. The average price was around $80. That may seem like a lot for an older used game. For those who want a fun turn-based strategy game to play with other people, I strongly recommend it. And it's kind of funny on the box, it says the friend destroying game. Because <laughs> emotions can get high. There's ways to really screw someone over and a lot of it is based on luck and chance and reading the other player and it has many levels to it. So that's Dokapon Kingdom for the Nintendo Wii. Number four, Timeline Diversity. 
This is a card game I was recently introduced to, and it was another recommendation by the folks over at Uncle's Games, the gaming store right below the 3H2 office here in downtown Spokane. Do you encourage folks for this game, because it is a physical game that I believe is available at stores, go to the local gaming store or toy store and see if it's there. And it is called Timeline. It's a two or more player game. And what I like about it, that it too has a learning component where the players are given cards and each card has a certain event. Each player guesses where that event goes relative to the other cards. There will be different events, the domestication of a cat, then electricity is discovered, the first time shampoo is used, when Coca-Cola was patented, really neat things. Then each player puts down their card at a speculated place in the timeline. It's educational and fun and has to do with history of humanity, similar to civilization. There are several different kinds. The two kinds that I've played are diversity, which is kind of a mix of a bunch of different things, and then also Americana, events which have happened in the United States. And that is Timeline, the game. I would recommend for starters to do the diversity pack. Easy to learn, it's easy to play. I recommend it for couples and families, people who want something a bit different than the norm of just watching TV and hanging around the house. This is a great, fun, and easy way to interact with each other. Number five is geocaching. This is another new game that I've been playing. The way that I've done it is through the geocaching app. There's an app on the phone which has a map of different locations where people have hidden some sort of an item. And then with the item is a logbook. The objective is to find it. Kind of like modern day treasure hunting. And what I like about this is it does have a community feel to it where people rely on each other to play the game. So one person hides an item with a logbook and then some sort of little trinket. And then another person goes and seeks it out. It's pretty neat. The few that I've found so far were mostly in parks. That's another point to the whole geocaching thing is people go to their favorite spots and then hide something. And then someone else goes and finds it and gets to experience that same park or part of the city. Geocaching, it's kind of twofold in a sense. One is going to the location as part of the adventure. And then the other part is finding the specific item using GPS and clues. And it's kind of neat too to see the logbook. When was the first person here? How soon have other people been here? It's, uh, it's modern day treasure hunting. <laughs> And it was real neat. My friend and I went to the Cache Cave, which is in the Spokane Valley. It's a geocaching store. A really neat concept. At the store, they sell tokens and the devices where the logbooks can be hidden. They have fake rocks and screws, like uh, giant bolts, which unscrew and then there's a really tiny piece of paper and then a little stick to pull the paper out. These are really neat inventive items. At the cash cave last night there was an event for the leap year <laughs> because yesterday was February 29th. 
because it was the 29th, it's a leap year. There were these frog tokens that say leap year, February 29th, 2015. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> and there were about 40 or so people at the store. It builds a community vibe within the geocaching genre. Cash cape. <laughs> a lot of uh, uh, pauses during this recording. I've got a little four-legged friend who's coming in and out of the rain. Gotta dry off his little paws. So Cash Cave. <laughs> it's a great concept to have a store which is a meeting place for people who do geocaching and offers a place to buy neat little devices which can hide the log books and all of those things for mugglers. Those are people who aren't geocachers, but then find whatever the geocaching is and then take it. <laughs> so there is a, again, with the treasure type of scenario, it's meant to be hidden and for specific people to find it. Last night I had a great time mingling with other geocachers, purchasing a little leap year token for the one day every four years. And another neat token they had was for pie day. So it was a little like dish thing with a pie in it that had pie's number around it. And that was issued, I believe last year on 3-14-15. So just neat things like that. It's kind of punny and a really great group of people, adventurers, treasure seekers, people who are willing to take the time to create a geocaching site. I do recommend folks look into that. All right, so these are the five games. Number one, Heroes of Might and Magic 3. Number two, Sid Meier's Civilization 5. Number three, Dokopan Kingdom. Number four, Timeline Diversity. And number five, Geocaching. And for the announcements today, last Friday was the Chiefs 3H2 day down at the Spokane Arena. The Spokane Chiefs hockey team played the Prince George Cougars. And them Cougars are quite a diligent force. <laughs> it was a tough game. <laughs> and a bit strange for me, graduating from Washington State University, I consider myself a Coug. And to be rooting for the team that wasn't the Cougars was a bit of a change. Would like to thank everyone who came out to the game. It was a packed arena, especially for the Chiefs games. Usually they're about midway full. This game was a bit more so than the normal. And we decided to break the norm. And instead of go to the Viking for the pregame festivities, we went to David's Pizza, which is a new pizzeria right next to the arena. And I had jogged by it for about a year when I lived in West Central over by the courthouse and watched people renovate the building. Last Friday was the first time I went inside. I'd seen the outside many times, but it was really neat to see the final product of the hard work people put in to restore the historic building. And while at David's Pizza, something a bit crazy happened that has never happened to me before someone purchased my meal <laughs> and I don't know who it is. This is something that has never happened to me before. 
and the kind person purchased my friend's meal and my meal. So it was both of our pizza sandwiches. And what's strange is the person wanted to remain anonymous. And I thought that was pretty cool. I have done this for other people, just on an intuitive basis, purchased someone's meal and wanted to remain anonymous. But it was the first time it had happened to me. (laughs) And I don't know, maybe it was a listener or maybe a friend of my friends. I don't know. And I like that it's a mystery because for a little while I got to pretend that it was a listener, that someone had listened to the show and then recognized me and offered a kindness. And not a kindness to gain praise, but a kindness of an altruistic fashion because the person wanted to remain anonymous. And that was pretty cool. (laughs) It made my day. And I joked with uh, my buddy saying like, oh yeah, I'm I'm a celebrity get free meals and and had fun with it and who knows there are an infinite amount of reasons why the meal was purchased but i wanted to live in fantasy land for a little while i wanted to pretend as though someone did care about 3h2 and about 3h2 hockey night and the fantasy world i've created for the most part i feel resistance With the last episode, with the streetlights, with the pish-posh feedback, many times I feel as though I'm constantly fighting to have my perspective be heard. And not to have others agree with me or any of that stuff, but just to express who I am, to be me, to be me raw, without fluff, without hiding aspects of my character, without hiding concerns that... I feel each day just to be me. And on Friday, I was me. It was 3H2 day, I was going to a hockey game. I was stoked and then bam, a stranger bought my meal. If that stranger out there is a listener, thank you. That helped my night to be even more special than it already was. And it, in essence, gave me permission to go to Fantasyland. I spend too much time in reality, in the trenches of fighting and working towards something and just tooth and nail. But Friday night, I was a princess. (laughs) And it was awesome. (laughs) Let this also kind of be a lesson for folks out there in similar situations. Anonymously buying someone's meal is a kind gesture. And it could happen in other ways. It doesn't have to be buying a meal, but anonymously showing gratitude, I feel, goes farther than showing gratitude and then asking for praise. So big thank you to whomever purchased my lovely pizza sandwich and my companion's pizza sandwich over at David's Pizza. The next announcement, my cousin Matt Ladley won a gold medal for snowboarding in the X Games last month. Congratulations to you, Matt. It's been years. Oh, geez. Probably about 15 years. Yeah, Mustachio says we've done a lot of time transportation tonight. (laughs) Yeah, it's been about 15 years since I've seen Matt. Uh, The last time was in Telluride, Colorado. I'm 10 years older than him. I'm 34 now, and he's 24. It was me, 
him and his sister, who is also a professional skier. So he's a professional snowboarder. She's a professional skier. We went up on the hill and I was quote unquote babysitting them <laughs> because I am older, but it was hilarious. They could out ski me tenfold. It was more like they were babysitting me. <laughs> and it, it was cute. The uh, patience that they had uh, waiting for me down at the bottom and kind of giving me a little bit of sass for being just a boring downhill skier when they were so accomplished, even at a young age. And when I think of Matt's accomplishments, I think of it on many levels. One as the dedication it takes to be a professional athlete, to be a professional anything, oftentimes takes a lifetime of dedication and passion, trial and error, sacrifice. There's so much behind the scenes that comes with accomplishments. And with Matt, I've known a little bit of that behind the scenes, the dedication of his family members and his dedication. I think that's a big word when I think of professionals is dedication, dedicating one's life to something and having family support and passion are two of the main ingredients. I also think about how over the last few years, he's been competing professionally as well as his sister and my parents have gone to one of Lane's competitions. It was over in, uh, at Heavenly in Lake Tahoe but I have not, I haven't physically supported Matt's career or Lane's career in person, but as a family member, I watch them on TV and talk about their accomplishments with my family members. Two years ago, Matt was competing and I was at my grandpa's house and we got the phone call a couple hours before, okay, it's on this channel, it's at this time. We sat down and watched. Even though Matt can't hear us, we were cheering for him and my grandpa's face lit up. He was so proud and excited. It reminded me that oftentimes people support each other without direct contact. That even though I haven't spoken with Matt in almost 15 years, I still support his career and encourage him. And it reminds me that there are family members who do the same for me. I was speaking with my mom a little bit ago and she had said some family members back east had heard the show and were really proud of me and, and I had completely forgot about that. I forgot that if someone doesn't directly tell me that they support me, then that means they don't. But with this scenario, positions were switched. I was supporting another family member without direct contact. So if I can support others, it's likely that others support me. And I do encourage folks to think of this, whether it be supporting a family member or friend or desiring support from family members or friends, there's a lot more awesomeness going on behind the scenes than it may seem. And uh, <laughs> as Mustachio points out, it's often the, the gripey, grumpy ones that are the loudest. That's kind of a part of life today, but I don't think that's the way it will always be. And it's not the way it has always been. But to think about the silent ones, to think about all of those people out there who support 
what professionals do and support what dedicated people do from behind the scenes and to hold on to that. After this experience of speaking with family members about Matt's great accomplishment, winning a gold medal, that's huge. And how the family has supported him and would support him just as much if he hadn't won the medal. That's another point, is that true fans, true believers don't need a third party validation in order to be supportive. Okay, Massage Joe says wrap it up. <laughs> it's just so strange how much my thinking has changed and how I am reminded that there are hundreds of people out there who support what we're doing at 3H2 and remain silent and that's okay. Positive words of encouragement are helpful. Good boy, good boy lay down. And at times I was a bit hurt that people didn't reach out to me. Lay down. But I'm reminded that I do the same thing. There are a lot of people that I support and I admire and I follow their careers without ever saying a word. I think that's a part of human nature and that's okay. <laughs> and uh, congratulations to all of the athletes out there, all of the educators, all of the people who live a life of passion, that in itself is a gift. And remember, there are a plethora of people observing in silence and supporting in silence. And on the rough days, remember that. Okay. <laughs> all right, the next announcement. There will be part two of the question and answers and comments. We did one of those last July and we've been getting quite a few questions, similar questions. And with that, I like to answer questions on the air. So then that way I only have to do it once. <laughs> and how we were just speaking about there's a lot that goes on in the silence. So I imagine if one person asks me a question, there's probably several other people who have the same question. For me, I'm an inquisitive person. I like it when my questions are answered. What I like to do is to answer the questions that people have. Please send any questions to 3h2humans at gmail.com and listen to the 10 list of questions, comments, and answers. Some of the questions may be answered there, and that will give an idea of the type of format that we do for these types of shows. A common question I've been receiving lately is about paradigms. And I've been asked what paradigms I would like to upgrade and to change. What paradigms would I like to be a part of their shifting? Another common question I've been Receiving is, who is your target audience? For some reason, this question bugs me. I think too many entrepreneurs focus on their target audience and assume. So the question, who is your target audience? I, I'd love to workshop this with someone, but as of now, I think it's a foolish question. I think it's based off of assumptions and people assume what their quote unquote target audience wants and then 
alter their content to meet that assumed need. And I think too, people kind of become arrogant when this happens because it's a, it's a higher stance. You know, what does your audience want? What, um, I see it as kind of like a hierarchy rather than a mastermind. And that's the approach of 3H2Humans Mastermind Symposium of Infinite Possibility. There is no target audience. <laughs> Essentially, the target audience is myself. What kind of content would I like? What do I enjoy in this moment? We'll go over questions such as those, so please send them on over. The last one on the list, write to city council about LED high color spectrum streetlights. I'm exhausted with the ignorance and closed-mindedness and in-the-box thinking of Avista and the city council. I can't take it anymore. It's, uh, it's too stressful. And I recently received an email from Lori Kinnear, the city councilwoman, who said, I've already spoken with Avista, the UTC, the Spokane Health Department, and that she can no longer help me, but... Thank you for reiterating your concerns. That irritated me. Again, many of her responses just irritate me because they're canned responses that I feel have fake emotions. Why is she thanking me for reiterating my concern if she's essentially turning her back? What, that doesn't make sense to me. And that's how many of these responses are. They just don't make sense. And I, I need a break. <laughs> I want to speak with people who are capable of critical thinking, who recognize if entities don't have the answer, that doesn't mean it's time to give up. That means it's time to look in other places, turn over other rocks. And that's a response I've been getting with this whole streetlight thing is that's just the way it is. And I disagree. That's not just the way it is. And if we as humans today just turn our backs and say, oh yeah, it's fine to have high temperature, bright ass commercial lights in residential areas, then that will become the norm. I don't believe that's healthy. I think people while walking their dogs at night, kids playing out in the street, yes, have some sort of light, but not a spotlight. Allow the brain to start to calm down. It's nighttime. It's not a, a football game at night. Yeah, sure, have bright ass LED lights for a night football game. But people in their neighborhood winding down? No, it's, it's idiotic. I don't know why Avista sells them and I don't know why the city installs them. I still don't know why. <laughs> I haven't received an answer. <laughs> I, no one has been able to give me some sort of logical explanation. I'm asking for help on this one. For here in Spokane, for people who agree with me that bright ass, high color temperature lights are ridiculous to send an email to call to go to city council meetings to allow all of our voices to be heard i feel this is the best way to implement change is through the masses the people at avista who are managing this lighting project live in the country they don't have these lights near their homes so of course they don't care it doesn't affect them and then us plebes over in the city us nothings. It doesn't matter. It just, I'm getting irritated. <laughs> That's a terrible part of capitalism where the people who manage projects such as this lighting one, it doesn't affect them directly. So they can come up with all the assumptions they want 
because they get to go home at night and pretend like the problem doesn't exist. The rest of us who live by these lights don't get to. It's a part of our lives. So I do request that if anyone out there agrees that these lights need to be changed, they, okay, the old sodium ones, yeah, let's upgrade them, but 4,500,000 temperature LED lights are not a healthy solution. So please take the time to write, to call, to show up, whatever it is. Consider that a personal favor for me. I would greatly appreciate it. Help me talk some sense into these folks who are essentially robots. (laughs) And I don't even need to know. As we were talking earlier about my cousin, how I support his athletic career, yet I don't speak to him about it. That's okay. So for those out there who support the 3H2 perspective of changing these lights, just do it. I don't need to be notified, just implement change. Okay. (laughs) So those were uh, quite long announcements today. I think it has something to do with the change in weather. I'm getting very excited for spring and summer. They are right around the corner. All right, so we will go ahead and dive into the 10 list next. Today is March 2nd, 2016, a beautiful Wednesday here in the lovely Hilliard area of Spokane, Washington. This episode is a little bit different than the others. (laughs) Each time it does seem the format changes slightly, which is a positive trait. I think mixing things up is a sign of evolution and progress, trial and error. These are some of the beautiful components of being human. Yesterday's recording was a bit challenging. It was done after a long day and my uh, little four-legged companion was very antsy. With the rain, uh, he wasn't able to go outside as much as he likes and then when he does go outside, he digs in the mud. So he was an indoor dog yesterday. (laughs) Let's go ahead and dive into the 10 list for helpful driving habits. Number one, minimize potential for road rage. Road rage corrupts the mind without notice. In one moment, a great song plays on the radio. A moment later, four-letter words leap from the lips, directed at a sweet old lady who walks slow through a crosswalk. At the core of the soul, humans desire to treat other humans with respect and compassion. The question becomes, why does road rage strike the mind? As with an approach to health, happiness, and a humble perspective, road rage affects each person in a unique way. Within this 10 list, a few potential subconscious instigators are explored. A messy car, overwhelmed mindset, poor nutrition, dehydration, and cars following too close are a few complications which may add to road rage. There are a few more mental and physical factors worth consideration when a desire to minimize road rage is present. Often thought of as strictly situational, road rage does have a few potential extraneous reasons for its appearance within the mind. 
lack of exercise, complications with home environment, lack of sleep, and a sedentary day can contribute to the unexpected light switch effect brought on through road rage. Exercise is a key component. A famous line spoke by L. Woods in Legally Blonde, quote, I just don't think that Brooke could have done this. Exercise gives you endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. Happy people just don't shoot their husbands. They just don't, end quote. Even though there are a few pish-posh words in the statement, the core of it holds weight. People who exercise tend to be happier, mentally and chemically. If fits of road rage occur more than once a week, examine the frequency of physical exertion. Ask, how much exercise does my body need each week? How much exercise do I give my body? As L. Woods pointed out, people who exercise are biologically happy and less likely to harm others. Increase exercise and decrease road rage. If needed, start small. Go for a walk around the block each evening. Another potential contributor to dramatic mood swings can be found in the home. If a person feels unsafe, unhappy, unappreciated, un in general, that un will spill over to a poor, unfortunate soul on the road. If road rage pops up more than once a week, examine the home life, ingest, reflect, and modify factors within the home. Ask, how can I improve life stability and comfort at home? Communicate needs with friends, family, loved ones, and roommates. Explain which needs are met and which ones are lacking. Is there a need for more solo time alone? Or perhaps the opposite, too much alone time, which leaves a need for connection with others. Humans are complicated creatures with complicated emotions. Explain desires on the home front in order to soothe the mind in other situations. Lack of restful sleep is another contributor to road rage and a precursor to dramatic mood swings. If road rage occurs more than once a week, consider lack of sleep to be a factor. Each person will vary in terms of needed sleep per day. Some people operate best with a nap midday as a means to restore and refresh a positive perspective. Some people operate best on 12 hours of sleep and others need only six. Conduct research on restorative sleep. Consider opinions of scientists and specialists. Implement trial and error while exploring potential tips to increase ability to sleep deeply. Light exposure is worth exploration as well. Humans are biologically programmed to live in darkness once the sun goes down. High color temperature streetlights, exposure to TV, and other evasive electronics may hinder melatonin production. Sleep is a basic need which is often pushed aside and designated as a want by modern humans. Ability to critically think, to pay attention with conscious awareness, is increased as restorative sleep increases. Similarly, as restful sleep decreases, an ability to be in the present moment also decreases. When a human is sleep deprived, the light switch of road rage is more likely to be switched. Be mindful of sleep patterns. Many factors of road rage are signaled through emotions beyond driving. A few ways to minimize vehicle-related road rage include keep at least quarter tank of fuel available on hand. An unexpected trip to the gas station or charging station <laughs> can start a negative fall of dominoes. Leave early. 
Plan to arrive at a destination at least 15 minutes before needed. Plan the route beforehand and anticipate traffic. Leave a buffer for the unexpected. In summary, many factors beyond the road affect road rage. Humans are complicated, unique creatures with complicated equations of emotion. Be mindful of our complexity. Be compassionate towards others and oneself when road rage surfaces. One day it is me who yells at the granny crossing the street at a snail's pace. The next day it will be someone else. Be a conscious driver. Be aware of fleeting, illogical emotions. Okay, that's number one, road rage. I have experienced all kinds of markers on this continuum, the continuum of road rage. I used to live in San Jose in the Silicon Valley, and I worked the uh, Silicon Valley 60-hour work week, went to work in traffic, came home in traffic, did my errands in traffic, just traffic everywhere. (laughs) I would experience road rage. I would get upset at other drivers on the road and blame them for my inability to control my emotions. At the time, I experienced many of these, lack of sleep, overexposure to light, complications at home. Do you encourage folks to look at road rage from a slightly different perspective? One, removed from the road. Think of what factors outside of transportation lead to complications on the road. And now I live in Spokane, Washington. There is very little traffic. I exercise more, get more sleep, am mindful of light exposure. I've changed my life habits and I rarely experience road rage. In the past, when I was a bit more wound up tightly, I would experience road rage almost every time I got in the car. I would get upset at someone, blame someone else. My perspective was lacking compassion. If somebody cut me off, I didn't think, oh, maybe they're late and that person is out of gas, has to go to the gas station, and then show up to an appointment. I didn't think that way. I thought, oh, look at that asshole, just not caring about me and being inconsiderate. And it was an unhealthy perspective. Now, I've changed. If somebody cuts me off or blocks an intersection, does something like that, I have more compassion. I think, okay, that person may not be having the best day or that person may be distracted. I get distracted too, so me blaming and getting angry at someone else for emotions that I experience myself is a bit silly. I do encourage folks to examine these factors of road rage and think of how they affect one's own life and expand the list. There are tons of factors that I left out, tons of reasons why people experience road rage and how to curve that. Explore, number one, minimize potential for road rage. Number two, leave extra space between one's own car and the car in front when in motion. Tailgating, following too close to a vehicle is a common avoidable cause for car accidents. To offer additional space in between cars is an easy way to increase safety for oneself and others. Explore, If the car in front of me slammed on their brakes, would I be able to stop in time? When a car is struck from behind, the driver who hit the car is usually found at fault. 
regardless of the reason why the driver abruptly stopped, the person who hits the car is liable. Decrease liability and increase safety. Leave extra room behind the car in front. Additionally, a car which follows too closely is a mental as well as a physical nuisance. Be courteous to fellow humans on the road. Give extra space in between cars. Contrary to popular belief, leaving extra room will speed up traffic and save time as opposed to lose time. When cars tailgate, they tend to hit the brakes more frequently than those who offer enough space for the unexpected. So number two, leave enough space in between cars when in motion. This is a big one. As I pointed out, it's a physical and mental nuisance. It's irritating to have a car two feet off of my back bumper because all that person has to do is look down at their cell phone or get distracted for one second. If traffic stops and I need to abruptly stop, that person is not going to be able to stop in time. If tailgating is thought to save time, here are two reasons why it doesn't. One is a reason just spoke about where it's likely to cause a car accident. The, what, 30 seconds driving closer to a car will save is not equal to the hour or hours, plural, which are needed when an accident occurs. That's number one. It's likely to cause an accident to take time instead of give time. And number two, when cars tailgate, they hit the brakes more. There is less of a buffer to instead let off the accelerator and then slow down that way. When cars are too close together, they need to hit on the brakes to slow down because there's less time. And a chain reaction occurs. When one car hits its brakes, then the car behind it does, then the car behind it, and far down the line, the time it takes to brake increases. It does slow down traffic. I do encourage folks to leave plenty of room, and it's courteous. It's more relaxing for the driver of the vehicle that leaves room because there isn't that need to constantly hit the brakes every time the car in front slows down. And it's courteous to the car in front that doesn't have this vehicle barreling down behind it. And if a car needs to switch lanes or get in, there's enough space to do so. Mustachio points out, that's one of the reasons why people tailgate. They don't want any cars to get in. That's their spot. How dare someone get in front? Well, if that's a mindset, think about it in terms of an equation, a time equation. How much time is that car going to take? If the car length is increased by one or two or three, how much time is that going to suck up? Not very much, maybe a minute or two at most, and that's if a light is missed because of that car. And that's another reason why in the first one we talk about leave early. Allow for a buffer of time, allow for a buffer of space, plan for the unexpected. It's a crazy world out there. <laughs> and uh, it's a good idea to plan. Plan for things and just relax, enjoy traveling. Okay, that one was number two. Leave extra space between one's own car and the car in front when in motion. And number three, drive defensively. 
Anticipate drivers to act foolishly and plan accordingly. Defensive drivers tend to be more forgiving than people who do not plan for the unexpected. Most of us have been there, accidentally pulled into traffic without seeing a car or switched lanes with a car in the blind spot. Mistakes and miscalculations are bound to happen. Defensive drivers plan for them and in doing so prevent accidents. Humans are likely to cause confusion at times. When confusion is planned for, everyone wins. If a car feels as though it's going to do something foolish, gently plan for it to do so. Slow down, speed up, change lanes. Whatever the situation calls for, safely maneuver away from the car in question when possible. Worst case, a maneuver was overcautious. Best case, an accident was avoided. Regardless of fault, an auto collision on the road involves two or more cars. Give conscious awareness to other motorists on the road and anticipate their maneuvers. Work together to create a safe driving experience. Some days it will be oneself who is a space case on the road. Other times it will be another person. Work together and remember, for now, other drivers and oneself are human and prone to error. A main component of defensive driving is minimizing distractions. Currently in 2016, a primary distraction on the road is cell phone use. Hands-free devices have helped with this distraction, but cell phone use while driving remains a problem today. If communicating with another person, wait until arrival to continue the conversation. Think of the car as one of the few mental san sanctuary... <laughs> Think of the car as one of the few mental sanctuary spaces available within one's life. Appreciate alone time in the car and put the phone aside, on silent, or turn it off. Allow for some me time. Roll down the window, observe surroundings, sing with the radio, ponder in silence. Whatever the vibe may bring, embrace time spent during travel. Reflect, ingest, and modify thoughts of the day. If using a navigation device, handwrite the info in a notebook. Print out directions or use audio directions when possible. Handwriting directions before leaving gives the brain a chance to absorb directions and anticipate turns and streets. Prepare before driving to an unfamiliar location. Use trial and error. Ask, what is the safest way for me to navigate to a new place? How can I be a defensive driver? So number three, drive defensively. Anticipate drivers to act foolishly and plan accordingly. I speculate that I have avoided at least 20 accidents because I drive defensively. I pay attention to what other drivers are doing. And as I pointed out, the intuition thing, sometimes it feels as though a driver is going to do something foolish. I encourage folks to listen to that feeling, to safely maneuver away from a car that kind of gives a, a weird vibe. And also we spoke about leaving enough distance in between when stopping abruptly, a defensive driving tactic is to look in the rear view mirror and see how close that car is behind, how close the car is in front, and to calculate both. That's what I do. When there's an abrupt stop, I don't just look forward and slam on the brakes. 
I think, okay, if I slammed on the brakes, the car behind me is going to hit me. So I need to space it out enough to where I don't hit the car in front of me and the car behind me doesn't hit me. So there's a lot going on when driving. Much of driving is a subconscious process because it's familiar. But do you remember each situation is different? Even though a route may be the same, the drivers and the driver's mentalities will be different. Also, as pointed out, a main component of defensive driving is minimizing distractions, is being in the moment, is lifting driving from a subconscious process to a conscious process. Enjoy that time. For a lot of people, it's one of the few times where there's solitude. Many people work with others, then come home to people, partake in activities with people. It's just people, people, people all the time. (laughs) So perhaps view the car as a solo sanctuary and offer it attention, conscious awareness and appreciation for the gift of solo time. Also with the navigation, when I go on long road trips, I have a notebook with me and I write down where I'm going, the main roads and that type of information. Sometimes I travel way out in the boonies and cell phone signals are non-existent or sketchy. I like to anticipate what is coming up. Although I won't consciously remember every highway and every turn, It's at least a little seed that's planted in my mind. So for unfamiliar locations, plan ahead. Do a little bit of uh, pre-research on the route. Okay, that's number three, drive defensively, anticipate drivers to act foolishly and plan accordingly. Number four, keep the vehicle clean, exterior and interior. Remove unneeded items. A clean vehicle produces many benefits. The old saying of a person's physical environment is a reflection of their mental state is often true. Driving a clean car free of debris will assist in producing a clean mind free of debris. Items rolling around, mystery food smells from under the seat, appearance of living in one's car can distract from driving duties. Dedicate energy to vehicle organization. Set aside some time, either once a week or once a month, to clean out the car, inside and out. First, focus on the inside. Remove garbage or any items which do not belong. Set aside some time, either once a week or once a month, to clean out the car, inside and out. First, focus on the inside. Remove garbage and any items which do not belong in the car. Clean out the glove box, under seats, trunk, front seats, Give the vehicle a once-over, top-to-bottom clean-out. Regular cleanings will help this task to be less cumbersome. Organize loose money and other items which will remain in the car. Be diligent when selecting these items. Project into the future. Ask, what items will I use in the next month or so? Several pairs of shoes, five or so jackets, and last week's gym clothes are the type of items to sort and organize. Select one or two jackets and shoes, Replace used dirty gym clothes with a fresh set. Prepare to succeed. Once debris is cleaned out, ponder what to do next. Perhaps drive to a local gas station with a grip of quarters. Drive through a car wash and use an industrial vacuum cleaner to deep clean carpets and upholstery. 
If weather and tools permit, wash the car at home. Use a hose for exterior and extension cord with household vacuum for interior cleaning. Full service car washes are also a possibility. So this one is number four, keep vehicle clean, exterior and interior, remove unneeded items. I do notice for me, when I clean out my car, I feel a lot better. I feel mentally cleaner. I feel more aware of the moment, almost like an energy boost because I do feel subconsciously part of my mind is used up thinking about cleaning out the car, wondering what I'm going to do with all these items. When is the car going to be clean? These types of things happen on a subconscious level. Some people are aware of them and others are not. Simply because a person is not aware of them, then that doesn't mean it it doesn't exist. Oh, Mustachio has a great point. Um, Subconscious processes are similar to dreaming. Sometimes people remember their dreams and sometimes they don't. But that doesn't mean that dreaming doesn't take place if the dreams are not remembered. And similar to dreaming too, it's kind of neat and unusual and exciting to tap into a subconscious process as it is neat and unusual and exciting to tap into a dream. To remember what occurred during the dream state is similar to being aware of what's going on with subconscious processing. Also another benefit to having a clean car, every now and then there is that unexpected passenger. (laughs) Many a times I have been that unexpected passenger and the person needs to clear stuff off of the front seat. And when there is that unexpected passenger, it is a bit embarrassing, gives a message of uncleanliness. And I think too, having a messy car discourages people from wanting to give other people rides and welcome other people into their car. And a car is meant for transportation, for shuttling people around as we will get into on the next one. That is number four, keep the vehicle clean, exterior and interior, remove unneeded items. Number five, use Uber, Lyft, or other car service when intoxicated or exhausted. To be a conscious driver requires conscious attention. When the mind is intoxicated with drugs or alcohol, or exhausted and distracted, conscious attention to the road becomes a challenge. Err on the side of caution and safety. Outsource driving when the mind is in one of these less than ideal mental states. A few bucks will be worth peace of mind and a safe arrival at a destination for oneself and passengers. If planning a big night out on the town, a concert, sporting event, or trivia at the local pub, consider using Uber or another car service for transportation. In most cases, a two-way cab fare will cost less than a pizza delivery or a DUI. When examining the logistics of an event, Consider both mental energy needed to operate a vehicle and the physical cost of parking and potential complications of driving intoxicated. If meeting up with a large group, perhaps select one person's house as a central meeting location. Extend the evening, meet up a few hours before an event. Share appetizers and cocktails in potluck style. When it's time to go, 
request a van or larger vehicle to transport the group. Doing so will save money on parking for each driver, become a safer option, and correlate the group before an event. Plan for fun. In contrast to in contrast to intoxication <laughs> in contrast to intoxication as a hindrance on driving ability, mental exhaustion and distraction are equally as dangerous for oneself and others. Use a car service to assist with driving duties when obligated to transport those who do not drive. For example, Elderly friends and family, and children who have sports practice or daycare after school. Explore options for outsourcing transportation needs during the day. Humans are forgetful and sometimes overbook their time when balancing many responsibilities. If this is the case, consider infinite possibilities when calculating logistics of a situation. A parent who is stressed out with work duties and then unexpectedly needs to transport a child or elderly person will likely do so with subconscious rather than conscious attention. A mindset of distraction and the operation of machinery is a potentially dangerous combination. Conducting a conference call, organizing meeting notes, or multitasking in this capacity while driving offers a less than ideal situation. An ability to control Emotions are decreased when stressed, which increases a likelihood of road rage. If spread too thin, consider options to outsource driving tasks to a professional. When intoxicated or overbooked, a hired driver is a potential resource. A third situation is for pickup and delivery of food or other items. In 2016, food pickup goes beyond pizza delivery. Look into secondary services such as Uber, to pick up a healthy order of sushi or food from other restaurants which don't offer delivery. Think outside the norm and explore other options than driving oneself to gather items. Okay, so that is number five. Use Uber, Lyft, or other car service when intoxicated or exhausted. And one of the points I did not cover in this is grocery delivery, other food types of delivery, and two with Amazon to pick up items. They have expedited shipping. 10 years ago, there were significantly less options to gather items, to transport people, to get food. All of these things were more challenging. And a person oftentimes needed to conduct the transportation themselves to drive to the store to pick up an item or to wait an hour for a yellow cab. <laughs> I have recently used Uber for the first time and I was impressed. I really enjoy how it's an independent app. So I downloaded the app and then requested a driver. I didn't have to talk to anyone. The driver came quickly and the payment for the driver was all taken care of through the app. Also, each driver is essentially an owner operator. So they have their own car. There are specifications for the cars. I think the specification is four doors and 2004 or newer. Also, they have vehicle safety inspections, background checks on the drivers. It does seem as though Uber has optimized the cab industry and especially for people such as myself who don't want to call. <laughs> 
I remember last summer I was in San Jose for a childhood friend's wedding and I called a cab and I waited at least an hour. It may have been an hour and a half for yellow cab. And I spoke to three different people and I don't think the car was dispatched at first. And they said, yeah, it'll be 15 minutes. And it's just uh, kind of like how we spoke about in the last episode of customer service, where having a text-based communication eliminates he said, she said ambiguities. It provides pink zone tangibility. And Uber does that. There's a little car icon and it says how long until the car will arrive. And also the fares, I would say, are less expensive than a traditional yellow cab. All the way around, Uber has improved and optimized the car for hire business. I am impressed. And also the drivers. I've met about over five, less than 10 Uber drivers, and each one was really friendly. Some of them have bottled water and chewy bars and mints, and uh, a couple of the cars had charging stations for phones. I am under the impression the majority of Uber drivers enjoy their job and go the extra mile, whereas traditional cabs, I did not get that feeling. And I am a huge proponent of driving safe, especially when intoxicated. I mostly like to travel on foot, but if I am going out and there isn't a designated driver, then I do use Uber and I have been happy with its services. And one of the Uber drivers I spoke with talked about how he transports kids to soccer practices and uh, picks up food deliveries. He explained to me the diversity of Uber. And it opened up my mind, and I do hope that it opens up the minds of some of the folks out there. Okay, that is number five. Use Uber, Lyft, or other car services when intoxicated or exhausted. Number six, have snacks and water available. Minimize desire to impulse eat and drink while on the road. In order for a car to drive and a person to critically think, fuel is needed. Think of a vehicle on a mechanical level. View it as a machine, as more than a turnkey device capable of magical movements. Numerous intricate parts work together under the hood, out of sight, to create motion. The motor uses belts, gears, and fuel to function. As a vehicle needs fuel to operate, so too does a human need food to function. When a car runs out of gas, it becomes useless. Similarly, When a human runs out of food, it too produces less than desirable results and will act on impulse. Fast food marketing specialists understand human weaknesses and bank on humans to run low on energy and buy cheap, crappy food as a quick solution. Short-term gratification and hunger pains will sway a person to choose poorly while on the road. A quick, easy, and healthier alternative to fast food is to bring snacks in the car. An infinite number of options are available when a person plans ahead. Whether simple or complex, dry or perishables in a cooler, select food before hunger and low blood sugar strike. Be on the offensive. Plan ahead as failing to plan is planning to fail. Capitalistic motives entice drivers to pull over and eat 
or drink on impulse. Low on energy? Grab an energy drink. Buy one, get one free. Why two for one? So when the caffeine crash sets in, there will be another drink on hand to lift the consumer back up. Then tomorrow, rinse and repeat. Drink an energy drink in the morning, then another in the afternoon. Too often, a merchant dictates a consumer's patterns. Dictate one's own life patterns. A well-hydrated and nutrient-filled body will be able to sustain energy on its own without the crash and burn effect felt from greasy food and caffeine spikes. Bring a 32 ounce refillable water bottle when in the car to avoid gas station pit stops for energy drinks and soda beverages. Water may not be the most desired drink at first, but it beats impulse buys motivated by marketing. With hydration covered, next item to tend to, bring snacks. Each person will have their own unique dietary needs and specifications. Bring food items, which include fiber, protein, fats, and carbohydrates. Nutrient-dense, healthy snacks as a means to replace greasy, empty, caloric foods, which are often advertised roadside. If the food could not have been made 100 years ago, it's probably best omitted. Okay, so that's number six. Have snacks and water available. Minimize desire to impulse eat and drink while on the road. This is another one that I have moved my marker on the continuum dramatically from one end to the other. In the past, I used to eat fast food. I would work and then want to leave the office and I didn't prepare food. So I would go down to a fast food place, eat their crappy fried food, drink a large soda, and I wouldn't even think about it. I just thought about it as food, as fuel rather than nutrients and energy. Also, the energy drinks. I used to be addicted to energy drinks. And the whole buy one, get one free, I'd, I'd just want one, but then I'd get another one and then I'd have it on hand to help me with the afternoon crash. And then I'd think the next day, well, I need these. Yesterday, I was all pumped up. I need that same energy again to be successful. And now I have switched my habits and my attitude where I drink tea. And there's very little caffeine in the tea. But the hydrating effect of the tea helps give me energy. And also the lack of crash in the afternoon helps to give me more energy. So I do view it as a win-win. Also with snacks, in the past I would get hungry while out on the road, running errands, on road trips, whatever it may be, and I used to love cheddar and sour cream ruffles. <laughs> that was my go-to food. Even though after I ate them, I felt like crap, I liked the flavor. I was like addicted to the, the greasy flavor bursts. Luckily now, I think sour cream and cheddar ruffles are gross. <laughs> and instead, now I bring with me pretzels and nuts. So if I get hungry, I just grab a handful of pretzels and nuts and I feel satiated and energized. Much more so than with the cheddar and sour cream ruffles <laughs> those I would only feel 
energized and comfortable for about five minutes, then I would feel gross soon thereafter. With the nuts and pretzels, it helps to regulate my body, give me the fats and proteins and carbohydrates and fibers that my body craves. Each person's gonna be different, and it was through trial and error that I figured out nuts and pretzels were a great snack for me to keep on hand. I keep some in my purse and in my backpack. No matter where I go, I have that snack. Instead of being out and about and hungry and then relying on a fast food place or a gas station to provide me with nutrients, I supply my own. And that one was number six have snacks and water available, minimize desire to impulse eat and drink while on the road. Number seven, minimize brake use by lifting off accelerator early. Be steady on the gas. Think like a race car driver. Examine several cars ahead as well as the car in front when driving. Slow down prior to a red light, stopped traffic, or other anticipated needs to slow down. The moment a need to stop or slow is recognized, begin to remove pressure from the accelerator. Instead of slamming on the brakes last minute, come to a slow, gentle, controlled stop. Gently coming to a stop is helpful for other drivers, one's own mental health, and decreases wear and tear on a vehicle. When drivers see brake lights, they tend to hit the brakes themselves, especially when following too closely to a car in front of them. A chain reaction begins once the lead car hits the brakes. A quick tap, 50 cars back, becomes a steady holdup on traffic. Assist with a steady, gentle flow of traffic. Offer plenty of distance behind the car in front of one's own car. If they tap on the brakes, remove foot from the accelerator as opposed to tapping on the brakes as well. When this is done, the vehicle behind one's own can maintain their pace, which helps with a steady flow of vehicles. Create a positive, as opposed to negative, ripple effect. Be a conscious driver. Easing off the accelerator is helpful when moving in traffic as well as when coming to a stop. Look ahead. If there is a red light or other need to stop, begin to slow down once the need is identified. To continue to accelerate towards a red light is foolish tough on the brakes, and tough on the cars behind. What is the point of quickly moving towards a stop? No time will be gained. Similar to a stone dropped in a puddle, cars behind will need to brake if the car in front does. As ripples increase, so too does the time needed to stop for cars behind. Plan ahead. Allow for the unexpected. When traffic stops abruptly, likelihood of an accident and blocked intersections become more probable. These problems can be avoided. Slow down gently and drive with conscious attention. The majority of drivers at some point have been unable to proceed forward due to a blocked intersection or busy road outside a parking lot. Be courteous to other drivers on the road. Slow down gently and keep cross intersections clear. If a car is waiting to turn out of a lot, Stop early and allow them to pass. When positions are switched, how pleasurable are emotions when an intersection is clear for safe passage? When driving at a steady pace, be steady on the accelerator. To apply pressure, then lift. Apply pressure, then lift is an indication the driver is switching 
from a conscious to subconscious process when driving. This back and forth jilting motion is tough on the car, one's own cognition, passengers, and surrounding cars nearby. Hold a steady foot on the gas. Be mindful of acceleration. Okay, so this one, number seven, minimize brake use by lifting off accelerator early. Be steady on the gas. This is, in summary, to use both decreased acceleration and brakes to slow down a vehicle, not just brakes. It seems common for many drivers to only use brakes to slow down. Something which puzzles me is how drivers will accelerate towards a red light. There will be a red light a couple hundred feet ahead and cars maintain quick speed towards the light. Accelerating towards a red light. There's going to be a need to stop. Accelerating towards a stop is not going to increase speed of uh, travel time. So it's not going to decrease travel time. And I have a friend who does this and it drives me crazy. We'll be driving along around town and there'll be a red light and then he'll look over at me and talk and I look at the speedometer so it's 40 and then he's still talking and going 40 and I'm thinking okay so now would be a good time to lift off the accelerator come to a slow stop still going 40 right towards (laughs) a red light (laughs) and then a few moments before we get there he slams on the brakes (laughs) and I don't understand the thinking behind this other than it's a subconscious process. There's a lack of conscious awareness and a lack of recognition that decreasing acceleration and coming to a a gentle controlled stop is a win-win for the people within the situation, the driver, the passenger, and surrounding cars. Also with be steady on the gas. This is another phenomenon that I've recognized with some drivers where There's acceleration and then lifting off, then acceleration, then lifting off. As a passenger, I move back and forth. I can feel my body moving with the car. Acceleration, let off. In these instances too, there's a lot of talking. The driver is looking at me and talking and I'm not paying any attention to what the person is saying. I'm wondering why am I rocking back and forth and why isn't this person consciously driving. Do encourage folks to be a conscious driver, to minimize brake use by lifting off accelerator early and be steady on the gas. Just hold a gentle foot pressure on the gas rather than accelerating and lifting off. Number eight, perform, <laughs> number eight, perform routine maintenance. Keep emergency supplies in the vehicle. Protect investment with preventative care. Routine maintenance goes a long way when considering preventative measures. Better to check fluid than to pay for a new engine. In modern times, oil changes are relatively cheap, quick, and easy. Many of these businesses include engine checks for fluid levels and health of belts and other minor engine components. Similar to the human body, preventative care becomes a win-win. A simple tire pressure gauge can alert a driver when the tires need air. Many gas stations have coin-operated air compressors and a simple Google search will reveal ideal tire pressure. Ideal tire pressure will increase a smooth ride and decrease uneven wear and tear on the tires. Full wiper fluid 
and cleaning the windows each time the tank is filled are also small acts which will yield a large return. Keep emergency supplies on hand. The complexity of the kit will vary from person to person. Some items to consider, jumper cables or a battery charged jump box, water for drinking and for the vehicle, a first aid kit, a small gas can, window scraper for ice, blankets and towels for just-in-case incidents, and a spare tire with needed tools. Explore a vehicle's potential emergency needs and plan ahead for likely incidents. If another motorist is broken down or in need, assess the situation. Ask, am I able to assist this person? Is it safe to do so? Depending on specific need, act accordingly. Sometimes a person needs a simple push to help them get moving from slick ice or an emergency call if an accident has happened. Rather than assume someone else will help, assume no one will, and examine one's own ability to offer a hand. Okay, so this is number eight, perform routine maintenance, keep emergency supplies in the car, and also help others if possible. This last winter, a neighbor across the street was stuck in the snow. And at first I could hear him getting upset about being stuck in the snow. And I looked out the window and saw that his car was stuck. A few days earlier, my car was stuck and somebody pushed me out of being stuck. And it helped, it was a huge difference. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that a, a simple push can help remove a car from icy conditions. And sometimes there are larger needs. Help may go beyond a simple push or offering a gas can. That's another thing I've done where a motorist was out of gas and the gas station I was at didn't sell gas cans. And it was a bit of a rural area and I just gave them my gas can. So there's a, a karma cycle with number eight, performing routine maintenance and keeping emergency supplies in the car, planning for the unexpected, and then also helping others when the unexpected occurs for them. And as we talk about something like a, a simple tire pressure gauge can help. Also routine oil changes, and in the process checking for other fluids and filling those up as well. That's a, uh, a way to keep it positive. Also a uh, jump box. This is another item that I have. It's small. Um, I think it will, it'll jump a four and a six cylinder. I don't know if it's strong enough for an eight, but uh, I ran into situations where I've used it. And I primarily got it because I do long road trips where I'm out in the wilderness and I pull over and investigate stuff. I also sleep in the woods. Uh, one time when I was camping, a door was left open or something happened and the battery was dead. And that was a wake-up call for me that if I'm out in the middle of nowhere and the battery dies and there's no cars around to jump my vehicle, it's helpful to have a jump box on hand. The jump box has come in handy for a handful of other times when friends and neighbors' batteries ran out. And it's, it's pretty neat. It's a self-contained battery unit. Really neat. So I would encourage folks to look into those and then to have basic emergency supplies in the car and to perform uh, routine maintenance. A little goes a long way. Number nine, be mindful of speed relative to others. 
As with most concepts in life, speed is relative. A person is defined as fast or slow depending on other drivers within proximity. Be mindful of one's own speed relative to those in surrounding lanes. A person going fast in the fast lane is measured by the speed of other cars as opposed to one's own idea of what is fast. For example, a person who drives 60 miles per hour in the fast lane is driving fast if others on the road are driving 50 miles per hour. In contrast, if the same driver is being passed on the right by motorists going 70, that same driver is driving slow and is best to move out of the fast lane. Regardless of one's own idea of fast, fast is relative to other motorists. If driving slow, please switch lanes and keep right. On long drives with desolate two-lane roads, a common courtesy gesture is to use the left lane for passing and the right lane for cruising. Gauge one's own speed relative to others. If going faster than others, use the left lane, pass the slower cars, then return to the right. If there are only two lanes, consider the left lane to be a passing lane. If a faster car is approaching, move over to the right and let them pass. When driving in city traffic, speed continues to be relative. If a car is driving 20 miles an hour in a 35 zone, give them space. Keep distance from their vehicle and maintain etiquette explained above. Do not let other cars dictate one's own space relative to others. A slow vehicle does not give permission to tailgate and get angry. Keep cool, slow down if needed. Be mindful of the relative nature of driving. So this is number nine. Be mindful of speed relative to others. And there's a good point in this one about relativity. So what is relativity? That's where something is measured against something else. The example here are the words fast and slow. Fast and slow are relative terms. They need some other variable to be compared with in order to gain a designation of fast or slow. And for example, walking. Someone who walks 35 miles an hour, that's really fast. But someone who drives 35 miles an hour, that's pretty slow. So these words are relative. And I think that's something that I've noticed fast lane drivers, they'll go the speed limit thinking that's fast and they belong in the fast lane because they're going the speed limit. I disagree with this. I think the fast lane is about relativity. If the majority of cars are going 10 miles over the speed limit, then that car is no longer fast. It is slow and is best to move over. It's safer when cars of the same speed travel in the same lane because instead of that one car moving over to the right all of the other cars need to pass it to change lanes go past the car then change lanes back so that's several other lane changes and maneuvers which can be avoided if that one car moves over do encourage motorists instead of designating fast and slow by one's own idea of what is fast and slow, use these terms relative to the surrounding traffic. And also the two-lane roads. 
I spoke earlier about traveling in desolate areas. I go on long thousand plus mile road trips. The farthest I've drove is uh, from Spokane to Las Vegas. Much of that drive consists of two lane roads where the general etiquette is left lane is for passing, right lane is for cruising. And then when cars cruise in the left lane, all the other cars that want to pass have to maneuver through cars. It's a big hassle for several motorists for that one car to stay in that position. So really be mindful of this and ask, how do my actions affect the drivers around us? And how would I want other cars to act? Goes back to the golden rule, do unto others as you would want others to do unto you. Being around emotional drivers is not a fun experience. Being emotional back complicates an already complex situation. Be a conscious driver and be kind to others on the road. And that is number nine, be mindful of speed relative to others. Number 10, pull forward when stopped at a light or in traffic. Be especially mindful of space relative to others when in the left turn lane or lane which blocks others from proceeding forward. Examine surroundings and ask, how do my actions affect those around me? Be aware of position relative to other intersections in the area. Keep side streets and cross traffic sections clear. When waiting in the left turn lane, pull forward. Often these lanes have limited space. If six cars can wait in queue and three cars leave a car length space in between them, only three cars can fit. Additionally, the cars waiting to enter the turn lane are blocking traffic for the lane to the right, which is going through the intersection. Pay attention to space in between cars while at a light or stopped in traffic. What is the point of leaving a car length space while waiting at a light? If positions were switched, and another car was taking up two car spaces which blocked an ability to turn, how would it feel? Similarly, if several cars have large gaps in between them, in the lane to the right, the left turn lane will be unnecessarily blocked. Be a conscious driver, be considerate to other motorists and pay attention to car spacing when at a light. Do unto others as you would like others to do unto you. Instead of frustrate others when frustrated, be kind. Minimize frustration when sharing the road with other motorists. So this is number 10, pull forward when stopped at a light or in traffic. So this is the opposite of tailgating and offering extra space. So when in motion, offer extra space. And when stopped, shimmy on up close. Be mindful of cross intersections, blocking lanes, be a conscious driver. <laughs> One of my huge pet peeves is when people are in the left turn lane and there's a cement divider so only a couple cars can fit and cars will leave like a car length space in between and then they'll be on their phone or eating a McDonald's cheeseburger just on a, a whole nother planet, not even paying attention. That really irritates me. <laughs> Because then not only are cars unable to make that turning light, there is a blocking of lanes. So it holds up other motorists. So that one car that is a space case is affecting several cars in the area and impeding their journeys. 
And I think that's another contributor to road rage. Are space cases who don't pay attention, then if there's a couple of those cars and a person is unable to make a light, then they'll get angry. And then that spills over and it's a negative domino effect. So as motorists, as 3H2 humans, let's create a positive domino effect. And this is same for the lane to the right of turning lanes. If cars leave a car length space, then it blocks access to the left turning lane. So just be mindful and ask questions. Am I blocking access for other cars? Am I blocking intersections? Am I gonna make it through this light? Do I need to stop ahead of time in order to keep an intersection clear? Are there cars around me looking to join the traffic? Stop, let them in. And as pointed out the golden rule, do unto others as you would want others to do unto you. Okay, so that is number 10, pull forward when stopped at a light or in traffic. And that concludes the 10 list, 10 helpful driving habits. Number one, minimize potential for road rage. Number two, leave extra space between one's own car and the car in front when in motion. Three, drive defensively. Anticipate drivers to act foolishly and plan accordingly. Number four, keep the vehicle clean exterior and interior, remove unneeded items. Number five, use Uber, Lyft, or other car service when intoxicated or exhausted. Number six, have snacks and water available. Minimize desire to impulse eat and drink while on the road. Number seven, minimize brake use by lifting off accelerator early. Be steady on the gas. Number eight, perform routine maintenance. Keep emergency supplies in the car. Number nine, be mindful of speed relative to others. And number 10, pull forward when stopped at a light or in traffic. And Mustachio does point out, oftentimes throughout this 10 list, I use the word car. Sometimes I interchange it with vehicle, but it's for vehicles. It's for transportation vessels. Uh, Car is... Just an easy, simplified term, but this does apply to trucks and SUVs and vans and all kinds of motor-driven vessels. And uh, (laughs) as pointed out for now, cars and vehicles are operated largely by humans. This is likely to change in the future. Machines will likely drive cars. And I think it's because of many things on this 10 list. Modern drivers are subconsciously rather than consciously driving. And a machine doesn't have emotions or text calls to answer or will space out and leave a bunch of car links in a turning lane. Uh, Machines work on algorithms and calculations. And I do encourage us humans to lean a bit more towards that uh, mechanistic conscious thinking to calculate our surroundings and optimize our environments. All right, Mustachio and I would like to wish everyone health, happiness, and a humble perspective. Diligence today equals a thriving community tomorrow. Enjoy.